Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be uh, here and thinking about Christmas. It's very, very soon approaching. Maybe some of you are getting a little stressed out about that, but uh, I think it's going to be a great time. Looking forward to that. And next Sunday, a lot of great stuff. Um, And over the next two weeks, I did want to mention, we have a couple guest uh, speakers here in the Sunday School Hour. So next Sunday, Lord willing, it's Christmas Eve, we'll have uh, Captain Matthew Spurgeon, uh, the Air Force. They're supposed to be coming in on Friday and be with us for a couple weeks. And so uh, Lord willing, he'll teach next week, and then a week after that, it'll be New Year's Eve, and uh, so we'll, I'm excited to have uh, Milt Matchek scheduled for that day, too. So, All right, so looking forward to that, but uh, today, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're coming very close to the end of Ecclesiastes, and we'll be finishing it up here in a few weeks, but one of Charles Dickens' famous novels is called uh, Great Expectations. You may have read the book or seen the movie, (laughs) but a leading character in this novel is Miss Havisham. It's an interesting story, um, but she was jilted on her wedding day while she was getting ready for the wedding. She was preparing, putting on her dress, and in, in the middle of getting ready, he called and said, I ain't coming. And so, since that day, she locked herself in her house. She kept. She had a. She was very wealthy, so she had a huge mansion. She left it decorated just as she had on the wedding day, and she even kept the wedding cake in its place for years and years and years. And now she's an older woman in the in the um, book, but or middle-aged woman, I think. But um, she locked herself in the house, kept her wedding dress on, would never take the wedding dress off, even down to only one shoe on. And that's how she lived the rest of her life, would never go out. She vowed never to be hurt again. Much more sad than that novel, actually, I heard recently from a couple in our church, an older couple, their grandson recently committed suicide. He was in his apartment building, just jumped out the window on a... And, and died. Very, very smart young man in his early 20s. Lots of potential. Brilliant mind. But when COVID came, he got so fearful, he locked himself in his room and, and literally played video games and never left. And he just pretty much never, never came out. Fear. The, the fear of what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? Fear of what ifs can put us all in a prison of our own making. We all probably know people like that, and all of us have a tendency to be fearful of what might happen. It's heartbreaking, though, when you see and hear stories like that. It's not only heartbreaking, but it's a a waste. It's a waste of the gift of life. When we spend it sitting around, frozen in indecision, worrying about what could happen, and we end up doing nothing. 
Now, we all have the same thing. We all enter this world with the exact same thing in front of us. A certain amount of time under the sun. Now, we don't know exactly how much you have or how much I have, but we all have a certain amount of time under the sun. It is, but this time under the sun is unpredictable. It's enigmatic. It's mysterious, in other words. It is happy sometimes. It is sad sometimes. It is painful at times. And... Uh, Solomon, in this journey here, he's gonna, he was searching for meaning, and all of these things keep popping up. This is, it's a great life, but it's also a very sad life. It's painful at times, but it's wonderful at times. And so what's the search? What's, what's, what is it all about? What is the meaning of life? And so he found out that money and materialism do not solve all the problems. He found out that the pursuit of pleasure, if I just go after pleasure, that, that does not solve all, all of my problems. Education. That does not solve all of the problems. On this search for meaning, Solomon's conclusion has continually been, as he's been kind of peppering it throughout the book, that life will have its pain, but don't let that stop you from living. View life as a gift from God. It's from the hand of God. You have a certain amount of days, and every one of those days is a gift to you. Enjoy whatever life you have down here. Enjoy it. And in the middle of enjoying, make sure you fear God. And that is the conclusion, really, that he keeps coming to. And that's kind of how he's going to end this. But if you see life that way, as a gift from God, then listen, everybody, think about this. Not only is life worth living, it it now has meaning, because I see it as a gift from God, but it's also an adventure, It's an adventure of faith. It's not predictable. It's not boring. (laughs) It is adventurous. That is what life is. We get up with a purpose. God, you've given this to me for a reason. And I want to serve you today, Lord. And I want to enjoy this day. And that is the idea we keep coming back to. As believers, we know there is an eternity waiting for us. We know there's an above the sun that's going to happen And so we invest under the sun while we can and enjoy this time. But what about all the bad stuff? Yes, there's going to be pain and problems. We don't live in denial about that. The Bible is very, very honest about the realities of life. Solomon has been very honest. But at the same time, we're not going to lock ourselves in the room. We purpose to be joyful in the Lord in spite of all the bad things that might happen and will happen. And that's what we've been picking up all along the way. So, now, in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, these are the preacher. Remember, Ecclesiastes, the word means preacher. He's the preacher's final words here on the matter of living this life with meaning. This is, and this is more great wisdom for us. This is fantastic as we kind of whittle it all down. Number one here in this chapter, take calculated risks. In this time under the sun, take calculated risks. Do it. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 1. Look at this verse. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> Sounds like a soggy mess if you do something like this. What is he talking about? Now, af- after looking at several interpretations, a lot of people have different thoughts about this. We'll wait for you, Tony. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah, that's probably important, I'm sure. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. After looking at all the different interpretations, I think the best one for this verse, and that is very practical, I, th- I think it's a very practical encouragement to really make financial investments, even though life is unpredictable. 
That's kind of what the meaning is here. Now, several commentators like Warren Wearsby point, out, point this out. The, the merchants back then would uh, send their grain, they, if, at, at the farmers would send their grain by ship across the sea for trade. And so that is where the phrase, cast thy bread upon the waters, comes from. He's saying, go ahead, put your grain on the ships. Those trade vessels, they're going to leave and they're going to be gone a while. They're going to do the trading for you. And then they're going to come back. Uh, and it's going to take, as it says here, many days. Many days you'll get, your, uh, you'll get your return on investment. So Solomon is saying, listen, go ahead and make investments in this time under the sun. Now, now if you think about it, it's kind of strange to say that after he's just been saying, we have no idea what the future holds. We have no idea what's going to happen in the future. You may not even have tomorrow, but still go make investments. Put your bread out on the water. So here's the idea. Sure, it's a topsy-turvy world. The future is unpredictable, but Solomon says don't let that, or what you don't know, stop you from doing things that will help your future. Don't do nothing is the idea. But there is a very wise caveat here that all financial advisors will agree with. Look at verse 2. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. So when you send out, send out your grain on those ships, uh, divide it up and put your grain on seven or eight different ships because you never know what might happen. In other words, diversify. Diversify your investments. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now, Solomon is saying, knowing what you know, the future is a mystery. You don't know what evil is going to be on the earth. Don't, a lot of people, you know, I, it's unpredictable. I don't know what's going to happen, so I, I'm frozen. I just, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to hold on. He's saying the exact opposite. Have a go-for-it attitude, but at the same time, do your best to hedge against risk. Now, this is just good wisdom uh, for finances, of course, but also in every area of life, if you think about it. And I really want to apply it to all of our life. Solomon is saying, go for it. Be bold in life. Do what you can to limit risk, diversify, but, but take those calculated risks. You know, I, I, think, I think a good place for the Christian to apply this is in our service to the Lord, our giving and our service to the Lord. Think about the home church here. If we had not, uh, years ago, taken risks uh, on this campus on this property this was a big risk and the, the it's not like we had all the money just sitting in the pot ready to go no it's lord we believe this is what you want us to do and so we're going to step out in faith it's a risk people the people of the home church as you continually do we have to take risks even ourselves of investing in god's work that was money that maybe you could have saved for your future or money you could have put away for whatever for personal security but we say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give this because I believe the Lord wants me to cast my bread on the water. I believe this is something that God wants. We see this as an eternal investment. There's something very important here that God wants to do. So we cast our bread on the water. Each of us has a short time to give the gospel also. So not just in terms of finances, but in our service. Giving the gospel. Giving the message of the gospel to people that we know and shining for Jesus as much as we can in our life. See, that's why this is also such a great spiritual principle. So, think about this. 
if we say it this way, give the gospel to seven or eight. Invest the seed in as many places as you can. Take the seed of the gospel and cast it out there. Cast it on the waters. Everywhere you go, seven, eight, nine, ten, everywhere you go, you just keep throwing it out. Why? Because you never know who will respond. Uh, Jesus had the, gave that example. He cast the seed on all different types of ground. The hard ground, the soft ground, the, the, the ground with the weeds. Paul did the same. He, everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. He had no idea what kind of response he would get from town to town, but he just kept casting it out there, casting it out there. And even the Bible says there in Acts 17, for example, some mocked, some considered, and some believed. And that, those are the responses we're gonna have. And this is, by the way, why we try as a church to touch as many and do as many different things as we possibly can as a church to get the gospel out there, from dramas to festivals uh, to door-to-door witnessing, um, you know, f- things for children, things for adults. I mean, we just try to do everything we possibly can. We don't know what the response, but we have this view, let's just keep casting the bread out on the water, let's keep casting the bread out on the water and just see what God does. You never know who God will touch through one of those things. I read about this Christian man this week. I was so blessed by this. You know, a lot of the things, one of the things we do is we go out door-to-door uh, soul winning, we, and as much as we can, for example, even at the Great Festival, we try to have conversations with people. I know many of you, and Brother Jason was talking this morning about a, a friend giving the gospel to people. Um, and one of the things we encourage is to try to help people pray the sinner's prayer, because it's a powerful thing. Now, we never know what's going to happen. Uh, we don't know the person's soul, whether they truly accepted Jesus Christ or not, but there's a powerful prayer, and God does something. And this little story really encouraged me in that. I there was a Christian man who would travel to Ukraine every year. And every year that he would go, he would pass out tracts and witness and do what we do, door-to-door soul winning, and try to get people to pray the sinner's prayer. Of course, some responded and some didn't. That's typical. And often the ones who would pray the sinner's prayer with him wouldn't follow through, wouldn't go to church, and wouldn't allow themselves to be discipled. And so uh, one year he went and he ran into this man and, and the, as he was witnessing, the man said, hey, I want to take a picture with you. And so he took a picture with him, and, he's, and then the man turned and told him this. I'll read it to you. He said this, you probably don't remember me, but, for, but four years ago, you came to my apartment and shared the good news of Jesus Christ, how he died for sinners like me. I prayed that prayer, but I was just going through the motions to please my mother. I was in a very bad condition for about two years after that. I completely lost hope. I was taking drugs and drinking, intending just to kill myself. But in God's mercy, I remembered what you told me, that Christ died for sinners and his blood was for my sins. I prayed again, and this time I meant it. He really did come into my heart. I have been delivered. You, you probably wonder sometimes if what you're doing really does any good. For me, God used it to save my life and my soul. And this is why we keep going out. This is why we keep praying the sinner's prayer with people. You never know. We keep casting our bread out on the water. Another amazing example is this is from back in the 1600s from a man named Luke Short. He was 103 years old. Short was sitting under a hedge in Virginia when he happened to remember a sermon that he once heard from a Puritan, a famous Puritan, John Flavel. He started thinking about the sermon and he He was just sitting there and he asked God to forgive him. 
He, Lord, would you come into my heart right now, save me through the power of your death and resurrection. Well, he lived three more years, and on his tombstone at, were inscribed these words, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. But here's the remarkable part about the story. The sermon that Mr. Short remembered the, being preached was 85 years earlier. 85 years earlier back in England. Nearly almost a century passed before he actually remembered what God had told him and then gave his life to Christ. See, you never, ever know. We keep investing wherever we can. We keep giving it out. We keep casting the bread on the water. And we say, Lord, use it. God never intended us to lock ourselves in our little houses, save our little money, all our money, become a lonely little miser who doesn't do anything for the Lord. That is not God's intention for his people. We give, we serve, we invest, and we do it as wisely as we can in the things here and for eternity. Now, we're not saying the challenging days won't come. Look at verse three. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Meaning, stuff is going to happen. Dark clouds are going to come. Which means, when you see the dark cloud, that means rain is going to come. And it will happen. Count on it. That's how this thing works. Dark clouds come. Rain comes. Trees, they're going to fall. The wind's going to come. They're going to knock down trees. And, it, and the tree is going to fall right in your way. In the way of planting the crops is kind of the idea here. It's going to be right in the way of things you have to do. And you can't predict if the tree is going to fall to the north or for the, to the south. There's, just, there's no predicting it. But the point here is there's no excuse for passivity, for going inside and looking out and doing nothing. Because look at verse 4. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. See, if you're always looking out your window at the wind, expecting a storm to come and saying, oh man, it sure looks windy out there. I better not, I better not go out and plant any seed today. And if I, it's, it's going to be windy, the trees are going to be in the way anyway, so I'm just not going to plant anything. Or if you wait until there are no clouds, I'm just going to wait till the clouds clear up and then I'll go out and plant. Then the time is going to pass you by and you're never going to sow and you're not going to reap. We need to just get out there and deal with whatever comes our way. You know, I like that verse in Proverbs. You've heard it before, 14.4. It says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. Uh, the, the idea here, here is you can't go out there and plow very much by yourself. You can get a little bit done, but if you have an ox, whoo, you can get a lot of increase from an ox. And you can do a lot of farming. But you'll also have to deal with the downside of an ox, like cleaning the stall. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be gross. And it comes, but it comes with the territory. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. You've got to take the good with the bad. We have to get out there and just do what God wants us to do, even if it's not pleasant. Without risk, there is no reward. You'll never reap anything if you don't sow something. You'll never reap anything if you don't sow something. It's, there's always going to be risk out there, always. You'll never receive a dividend if you don't invest. You'll never increase in your income unless you get out there and risk getting rejected at, at a job. You'll never make a significant impact on the Lord's work unless 
you risk embarrassment in this world. I was thinking of the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. These folks, what an amazing way, a fantastic way really to spend millions and millions of dollars. There's a museum of the Bible right in the middle of Washington, D.C. And they have put a spotlight on the miracle of God's word for a generation that is totally confused about the word of God. And right in the place where it is attractive, it's beautifully done, it's first class. But before the Green family, primarily they're the ones who did it, before the Green family was able to do this, they had to take a ton of risk and build a successful business, Hobby Lobby. They didn't observe the wind or the clouds, they just went for it. They said, I don't care if it's cloudy out there, if windy, we just got to do this and we're going to do it for the glory of the Lord, we're going to stay closed on Sundays, we're going to do it for the honor of God. William Carey said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. You know, some people are so risk averse that they, they never do anything. May that not be us. We cast our bread out on the water, don't observe the wind, we just keep going. Now, a quick side note here. This kind of brings up a, an interesting principle that uh, I know my wife and I discuss quite often when we talk about things. And it's about following the will of God in a certain matters. You know, we come to interesting things in our life where uh, you know, we're choosing between right and wrong. And those are pretty clear. It's written in God's word. We search God's word and we know this is wrong, this is right, let's choose the right. But then there are other types of decisions that some people have termed right and left decisions. Um, you'd, both ways are fine. Both ways are, can be equally good. And so it's hard to make a decision and there's no chapter and verse on which one to take. So you have two things, equal risk and equal reward. And in, in those kind of situations, when we come up to those, I think these principles here are very good. The, the, the idea is pick one. <laughs> Just pick one. Go for it. See, God is not up there waiting to punish you if you choose the wrong one. He, if it's a right and left decision and it's, it's, it's good, then just make one. God's not saying, oh, if you go that way, I'm coming down hard on you. We don't see that in scripture. Let, let's say you have two good jobs to choose from. Both would be good for you physically, but both also would be good spiritually, meaning you could be off on Sundays, you could get to church, you could be part of ministry, you could live the life you want to live, and they're equally, equally good for you. And um, so all things equal, and you just don't know which one to take, just choose one. I don't know which one's the right one, God, I don't know which one, just choose one. Let's say you have a physical ailment, and there are a couple different treatments to choose from. If both have relatively the same risk and, and reward, then we just choose one. We just choose one. God isn't looking down saying, you know, if you choose that route, I'm killing you. Because you made the, a left decision rather than a right decision. But we, we, again, we just don't see God doing that in scripture anywhere. That's not how he works. God can steer you away if he desires from certain decisions. If you're starting to go away, he can open a door, he can close a door. All things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If it's not unbiblical, immoral, or unethical, and you've weighed the risk versus reward, then don't worry so much, just do it. I, I've seen people freeze, freeze in indecision and do nothing for years. 
And what a sad place to be. We will never reap anything if we don't sow something. Verse five, as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. The idea of this verse here is we're all in the same boat. None of us knows what God knows, all that God knows. We just simply can't know everything. We're human. So, learn what you can, but at some point you have to just make a decision without knowing what you would like to know. We're not God. Accept that and know that I don't know the future, I can't know everything, so best to my ability, I'm just gonna choose this and ask the Lord to bless it. And he can, he can steer me a different way if he wants me to. In verse six, I really like this one. In the morning, sow thy seed, and in the evening, withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether that, whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Now he's saying here, imagine you're a farmer and you're trying to decide for your crop if it's better to plant in the morning or if it's better to plant at night. What would be just the best with the, you know, just everything. So you're trying to decide, and he's saying here, if if you're in a decision like that and you're not sure, do both. Do both and see what happens. Don't you love God's profound statements? I mean, they're just so, so wise, so simple. There are some situations in life where you can do this, especially financial. Try different methods and different possibilities. It's okay, go for it. Be creative, invent, explore, learn, adapt. All those things are fine. We have this time here on earth and God just wants us to get out there and do, 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 do some things. And here's the major point. We're not meant to just sit around under the sun. Live your life, work hard, be generous, don't let worry about the future stop you from living a productive life. And, and that's what Solomon is kind of helping all of us to see. Yes, you have no idea what's in front of you, but don't let that stop you from investing in the future and doing all you can during this time. Now, number two in this, in this chapter is then take every opportunity to save her life. Take every opportunity to save her life. Verse seven, truly the light is sweet. And a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. I've noticed that typically the older someone gets, the more they enjoy the sun. And this is why you have the snowbirds, you know. (laughs) And it's true for me, um, seeing the sun in the morning, uh, seeing the sunrise is just, it's a beautiful time of day. And it just lifts my spirits. Um, You know, when I drive anywhere in the early morning, uh, I don't know if anybody else does this. Uh, it's uh, maybe just a me thing, but I, as I go down, if it's in the morning and the sun's just coming up and it's bright, right in my face, but I'm driving, I will not put my sunglasses on. It is, I don't know why, but any time of the other time of the day, I throw my sunglasses on, but on, in the mornings, I want my eyes to see the sun and I enjoy it. I think this verse, this, this is what I thought of when I read this. It's a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Or when I'm walking home in the afternoon after work, you know, I don't have a long commute, for those of you who know where we live, but even on a summer day, I'll, I'll leave the office, you know, and, and I've been inside studying, and I just go out there and walking home, I'll, I'll just kind of close my eyes, the sun's just hitting me in the face, and walk with my eyes closed, um, and, and just enjoy the warmth of the sun. I love, I love that. 
you know, when I was in my teens and in my 20s, I never even noticed the sun. I didn't even notice what that blob was up there. But, and you know, so, but now I'm enjoying those moments and the, the feeling and the view of the sun. Sometimes my wife thinks I'm sounding like a senior citizen a little too early, but anyway, S- Solomon's point here is this. Nothing wrong with that. Amen, amen. <laughs> Enjoy the bright, simple, and pleasant moments in life. Enjoy those beautiful days. Enjoy it. The brightness of a little child walking in and just running up to you with their arms open. Enjoy cuddling with, with, uh, with those little ones. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy the bright moments. Enjoy the laughing that you get to do. Enjoy those. Soak them up. Take every moment. Capture it. God wants you to do that because it won't always be like that. And these verses are actually for the older generation here. Verse eight, but if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. As I mentioned, Solomon never sugarcoats life. The Bible is very honest. It is real. It tells the truth. Remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. We live on a cursed earth. We are not in heaven yet. When we get to heaven, all the days will be bright. But right now, there are dark days, and they will come, and it says here, they, they will be many. Aging will happen. Bodies will break down. Life brings more and more burdens. Children and grandchildren will break your heart. Loved ones will get terminal diseases. They will die. You know, a traditional statement, some have heard probably, the seven ages of man. Spills, drills, thrills, bills, ills, pills, and wills. <laughs> and it's true. The, the days of darkness are coming. The days of darkness are many. As the years go on, I've noticed that my prayer list is getting longer and longer, not shorter. There's always another burden to pray for. There's always another burden from somebody that I'm hearing about in my own family, in other people's lives that I'm trying to help carry for someone else or ourselves. And there's just more and more and more and more and more of that. This is life under the sun. It's where we live. But if we put these two verses together here, verses seven and eight, Solomon is telling the folks who have lived many years, do not let those dark days dampen your enjoyment of the good days. Do not do it. Still enjoy the brightness. Don't get more salty as you get older. Get more sweet as you get older. Rejoice in the bright days and pray through the dark days. But enjoy it. Then Solomon turns to the young and I would summarize it this way, number three here, take every opportunity with holy caution. This is an important verse here. For young people, I think it's one of the key verses for young people in the entire scripture. It's very close, good to pay attention. Verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Now again, this is one of those grand conclusions in Ecclesiastes from somebody who is ultra-wise, Solomon. He says, go ahead. 
Enjoy the days of your youthful body and your youthful mind. Enjoy it. Let your heart cheer thee, it says. Be carefree. Um, and that's a, it's a good thing to be young and more carefree. Enjoy those years. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, which means do what you enjoy doing. It's okay to do that. Young years are a gift from God. They typically involve less physical pain. They typically involve more optimism about the future. And that's good. They love to have fun and laugh. And God is fine with that. Just always keep in mind that God is watching. God is watching everything. For all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. So enjoy life, but be careful. Enjoy the things that you can enjoy without ruining your life. Now as we compare that with the entirety of scripture that God says he will bring thee into judgment, we realize he's not talking about hell for the child of God. If, you've, if you're born again, if you know Christ, he, you are rescued from wrath, the wrath of God. However, so and we praise the Lord for that ultimate forgiveness. But that doesn't always change the earthly judgments, the earthly consequences of sinful choices. Most young people don't naturally think too seriously about the consequences of their actions. But Solomon is saying, hey, young, young folks, that's not a thing, <laughs> that, that, that there are no consequences. He makes no hesitation here. He says there are consequences to your actions, and listen, they are from God. They are from God. Galatians says that God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The prophet Hosea talks about sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. And by the way, all sin brings consequences. But the more outside the fences that you go, from God's fences, God's rules, God's, uh, God's playground that he has set up, uh, this life is a great playground, it's a wonderful place to just enjoy life and have a good time, that's okay to do. But there are fences, and the further you go out from those fences, the often the greater the consequence. We say, we say, well, yeah, you know, there's no sin that's worse than other sin. Well, that may not, that may be the case. All sin is sin to God, of course. But sin, different sins carry worse consequences. Sexual sins have greater consequences than stealing a candy bar at a store. Drug abuse has greater consequences than cheating on a test. Yes, all sin is sin, and all sin has consequences, but some are greater than others. And the other thing is we have no control over the consequences. We have no idea. We may sow the wind, but we reap the whirlwind. And we don't know when that will come or what it will be. You know, if the older generation could be fully honest, I mean 100% honest about all the consequences of their own sin here. If I just had you folks that have lived this life and been through things and have faced the consequences, the physical consequences, diseases and ailments, mental consequences, the sleepless nights and the consuming thoughts, the emotional consequences, the difficulty having joy and peace sometimes. If you, if, if you could stand up and, or sit down with a young person and explain all those fully honestly, then maybe that young person might think twice before, about their actions. It's a wise, wise young person who knows how to enjoy the, this life and enjoy the things he wants to do, but also understands consequences and pays attention to his conscience or her conscience. That is such a wise young person. By the way, this verse is such a helpful parenting verse for those who have teens especially. 
You know, we discuss these kinds of things as parents with our children. We can say some of the things that, like God has said here, listen, I want you to have fun. I want you to have a big time in this world. I want, God wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. But there has to be rules and there has to be fences here. And I'm establishing them for our home. So the older folks are told to enjoy life because the time is short. The younger folks are told to enjoy life, but don't ruin your future with poor choices. The middle-aged folks, do both, okay? <laughs> Number four, take away anger and evil. Take away anger and evil. Verse 10, therefore remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh for childhood and youth our vanity. Remove sorrow from thy heart. Sorrow, the word sorrow there is actually the Hebrew word kaas, which means that which angers, grieves, or irritates. <laughs> Anybody ever been irritated? Uh, the point is, because of all the bad experiences in life and the bad stuff that comes in life, the annoying things that come in life, um, we could start getting irritated, like irritated people. We could start getting angry people and sad in our hearts. And then we might become cynical and pessimistic and a miserable person. Don't let that happen. That's what he's saying. Remove that from your heart. Don't let all the bad stuff in this world sink down into your heart and make you this mean, angry person. And that's the internal part of this verse, but then the external, he says, put away evil from your flesh. Avoid actions that would bring you trouble later on. The point here is, work toward a healthy and happy mind and body. Avoid destructive habits, build good habits. The reason is because childhood and youth are vanity, which just means they are transient or fleeting. Childhood and youth are here one day and then they are gone the next. Our life is going to pass. And so don't waste it with a burdened and an angry mind and a, and, a, and a sinful flesh. You have a short time. We have a short time to make this life the best we can. Spend your time doing the things you ought to do and doing the things that you enjoy to do. It's okay. Now this is something as I end here that I've shared with our youth in youth camps and youth, other youth messages throughout the years and in one-on-one -on -one with different people. I think this little thing I'm gonna share with you, this little tool is super helpful and uh, to answer some of the big questions that especially young people have. But maybe you might, this might be helpful for you and for the young person in your life or for all of us really. And the concept, um, several people put out things like this, but there's one that I've noticed and I really like. It's from this book, John MacArthur's book, Found God's Will. I've made some of my own ad adaptations here, but and here's the gist, and I'll have it here for you. How to know the will of God for your life. Everybody wants to know that. How do I know what God wants me to do? The right decisions to make. That's why I love this little rubric here to kind of take a, a, a pattern of what you're gonna do. So first, I'm gonna make sure that I'm saved. I'm born again. I've trusted Jesus Christ with my life. Number two, I'm gonna make sure that I'm obedient. I'm walking in the ways that God wants me to walk. The things I know to do, I'm doing those. I may not know everything to do yet, but I know what God wants me to do, I'm gonna do those. Number three, be clean, live a clean life. If I'm doing those three, and then number four, be repentant. If, something, if there is a sin in my life, if something comes in, I repent, I confess, I get it out, I, 
and I turn the other way and I keep living for the Lord. Then be praying, be asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And then be fellowshipping, be constantly coming to church. I mean, come to church every time the doors are open. Always be here or wherever the church may be in your life, but be there, be there, be there. You wanna hear whatever God may have for you that particular day, and that might be the Sunday that God wants you to hear something, and you might be fellowshipping, you might be hear something from somebody else. Be going, and that means be uh, witnessing, be soul winning, be a, an evangelistic person, giving the gospel to people. If we're doing all of those things, then, then the last thing is this, do whatever you want at that point. Because once, once all of these things are true in your life, God has then changed your wanter. It is now a holy wanter, and God then will kind of begin to steer you, and your desires and your wants will be, begin to turn in a way that you didn't even maybe see coming. And, and that's the freedom of this whole thing. You do what God wants you to do, and then just go do what you, whatever you want. Lord, we love you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.